Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning, North Bible. My name is Adam Knight, and I am the pastor of students and young adults here at the church. We're in week seven of our series called Crucial Questions, and we've taken a bunch of responses from our congregation, a bunch of questions that have been submitted online, and our ministry team, our staff has been trying to answer these questions, you know, faithfully, biblically, and honestly. And, you know, it is kind of challenging a little bit as we receive the questions, what questions should I pick to speak on? Could I take, you know, a couple questions that are somewhat related and connect the dots a little bit? Uh, But this has been a great series so far. And at the beginning, I just want to remind you, Jay started us off, you know, getting us in a mindset of, you know, this quote from St. Augustine, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. So let's keep that in mind this morning as we dive into our question. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, We just stop right now, and we do invite you into our spaces, wherever we're at. If we're at home or we're in the car watching online, God, I just pray that you meet us today, that you speak to us, that you challenge us, you encourage us. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So the question that we get to discuss today is, can a Christian be depressed? There was a study that was put out in 2015, and it found that around 16.1 million adults, ages 18 or older in the United States, had experienced at least one major depressive episode within the past year. And that represents 6.7% of all American adults. I mean, that's a pretty high number. But think about where we're at now in 2020, right? 2015 was so five years ago. In 2020, we flipped the calendar, and right off the bat, we get impeachment proceedings, right? I don't know what your mindset was at the time, what emotions you experienced, but I think for me it highlighted just how politically divided our country is. I mean, there's feelings and emotions of anger, betrayal, disappointment, and coming out of, you know, the impeachment, that, that's over. We think we've got the rest of the year to come back, right? No. What are we in right now? We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Sadly, we've lost over 100,000 American lives to this disease, and it's, it's a tragedy. It's something that we're in the middle of right now. Maybe you aren't affected by the disease personally. You're healthy. Your family's healthy. That's great. But you've still been affected in some way, shape, or form. We've all been quarantined and locked down. And that presents, you know, its own challenges, its, you know, its own um, emotional struggles, whether that's feelings of isolation, feelings of judgment towards other people like, hey, they're too cautious, or they're not cautious enough. And that, that those feelings kind of turn into bitterness. And it's definitely an emotional time. The quarantine has kind of, you know, snowballed into other uh, places of life. The economy has just cratered. And you think about all of your friends and family who have either lost jobs or their pay has been reduced, and you start to ask the question like, 
Is my industry, my, my career in jeopardy? Will we ever recover from what's happening right now? How am I going to pay the bills for my family? If you're working from home, that brings up some different questions too. Like, am I being not productive enough? Am I being distracted at home? Am I being unfair to my family by working too much? And so all these different emotions kind of flood our minds. And I'd be remiss to mention what's going on in our world even this week. We saw just the, the highlights of racial injustice. It's so tragic to see all of these things that are happening with the killing of George Floyd, the protests that have ensued. I can't imagine the pain that's going through our African-American communities, our communities you know, made up of people of color. And, and it should affect us too. It should affect, I'm a Caucasian male, but I'm outraged. I'm in shock. And I don't know how to deal with some of these emotions We know that depression is a real problem in our world. It's an issue. It's highlighted every single day. Maybe you don't struggle with it personally, but it impacts more people around us maybe than we would even realize. If you haven't even felt some of these emotions, sometimes it's just like, man, where have you been? What have you been watching? Or maybe just for you, you've been pushing those emotions down You've been acting like they're not there. And so we're going to be talking about depression today. The question, can a Christian be depressed? Or even should a Christian be depressed? You know, put it another way, if you're a believer in God, but you've struggled with your mental health, maybe you've overanalyzed, you know, this process. What has caused this depression in my life? Is it because I'm not a good Christian? Do I not have enough faith in God in this season? Do I not have the right joy? Did I take the wrong step on the path that has lead, you know, led me away from my Savior? Maybe I'm immature or not good enough. We, we wrestle with these questions. I'm depressed. You know, can I be depressed? Should I be depressed? Is that wrong for me as a believer? And so as I personally prepare for this topic... A whole assortment of thoughts, you know, kind of came into my mind. And I'll share two, two of them with you this morning. The first is that I knew that this would be one of the most personal messages all I've ever preached in my life. It's going to be vulnerable. I'm going to peel back the curtains a little bit and share what's going on in my heart, my life. And sometimes, you know, that's difficult because we want our pastors to be sparkling and and polished, all put together. But the reality is we're, we're not superhumans. We're, we're just like everyone else. We have the same struggles, the same emotions, the same temptations. And the only real difference is today I'm the one who has the microphone, and I'm the one who's standing on this platform. So I want to use this time today. I want to be personal. I want to be faithful And I don't want to be fraudulent. I don't want to pretend like everything is okay. I've been preparing for this message for for quite some time, not just like the past six or seven days. This has been an ongoing process for me. And so this is going to be very personal. But secondly, as I prepared for this message, 
I knew that it would be one of the most encouraging messages that all have ever preached in my lifetime. This is a very hard and heavy topic, definitely. But the fact that we're even shining a light into mental health issues for some people is just such, you know, a quenching of a desperate thirst. I'm grateful for last week. Pastor Jay even opened the door for this conversation as we talked about Job, the problem of suffering, the inevitability of suffering, and how we as Christians can suffer faithfully. He opened the door for for this conversation. Because American Christians, a lot of times we pretend like we're not affected by suffering, especially here in Scottsdale. Scottsdale, let's be honest. We put on a mask, like not a coronavirus mask, but just like we're putting on a show, a performance. We're hiding our true self because we put out on Instagram all the highlights of our day, all of the good things. We're acting like we've got everything put together. But at the end of the day, we, we lie down in our beds and we're just empty, broken, desperate, and exhausted. And so today, I, I want to be encouraging to you. I know that God wants to work in your life. It may be painful to start down this road of vulnerability and taking off that mask, but God is a God of grace, and he will meet you. His presence will be with you wherever you're at right now. And so this question, can a Christian be depressed? It is crucial to discuss in our church because it has been taboo for far too long. The painful reality that that was brought up in an article I read this week called Confessions of a Depressed Pastor is written by Aaron Loy, and he says this, quote, There are people in churches every week who are suffering, and if we're not talking about depression in our churches, chances are very good those people are suffering alone. So that's the road we're going to go down today, and I'm excited uh, to, to get there. Um, as I prepared earlier this week, I had a Zoom call with Sonora Roman on the topic of depression. And you may recognize Sonora from other places at North where she serves. She sings on the worship team. She serves in student ministry. But Sonora, I reached out to her earlier because I was like, hey, do you have any resources, anything that I can include in this message, in this conversation about mental health and depression? And as she started sending me things, you know, we kind of realized it would probably just be better to hear directly from her. Our, our congregation would benefit immensely from hearing directly from Sonora. And so we recorded our Zoom interview. I want to play that for you right now. Thank you, Sonora, for joining me today. Um, yeah. Would you just start off by sharing a little bit about uh, your you know, experience, your education in this field, and uh, where you'd like to pursue uh, your career? Yeah. So I did my undergraduate degree in family studies, and my I'm getting my master's degree now in marriage and family therapy, um, so I can become a marriage and family therapist. And yeah, it's exciting. Well, I appreciate your perspective and um, your expertise in this matter. And so I wanted to ask you a few questions that kind of centered around, you know, the science and the statistics around clinical depression. And yeah. so to start off, um, could you just speak a little bit about, you know, what 
is clinical depression, definitions, maybe what it isn't? Yeah. So um, depression is a mood disorder. So that means that it affects the way that you're able to regulate your own mood. Um, so there are eight different depressive disorders. I think the one people consider most often when they think of depression in broad terms is probably major depressive disorder. Um, and in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Disorders, it's a big old book, probably this thick, with all of the different mental illnesses um, and their diagnostic criteria. But for major depressive disorder, um, you only need five of these symptoms um, in order for it to qualify diagnostically as major depressive disorder. Um, and those include depressed mood, um, which can also be an irritable mood, um, diminished interest or pleasure in activities you enjoy, um, significant weight loss or weight gain, um, sleeping too much, sleeping too little, um, moving around a lot, not moving around a lot at all, um, fatigue, loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness or excessive inappropriate guilt, um, diminished ability to think or concentrate, recurrent thoughts of death or suicidal ideation. Um, suicidal and depressed aren't always um, together. You can have symptoms of suicidality when you're depressed, but you don't have to. You can have any of those five symptoms to be considered um, somebody who has major depressive disorder. Um, so they might not look depressed. Um, they might not look sad like you're expecting. Um, so it just kind of depends on the person. Yeah, and so you mentioned there were a couple different um, depressive disorders, and I was thinking and reading through, you know, uh, major depressive disorder. Um, you talked about before bipolar depressive disorder, um, mm -hmm. persistent depressive disorder, which lasts longer, postpartum, and so there's all these different types of depression. But um, maybe could you speak a little bit about, you know, the statistics about who yeah. this affects? Yeah, so this affects a whole lot of people. Um, in America, major depressive disorder alone affects 16.1 million adults, uh, which is 6.7% of the population aged 18 and up. Um, it does also affect children and teenagers, um, but it looks a little different for them and the rates are not as consistent um, in terms of statistics. Um, there's some, some more prevalence in women than men, um, but that could just be because women go to get help for depression more often, um, that those rates are different. Um, and the highest age group in terms of rates of depression um, is men age 65 and up, is where we see the most incidence. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, would you say that there's a difference in being depressed versus feeling depressed? Absolutely. I think in our culture, sometimes the term depression gets thrown around kind of lightly. Um, but any feeling of sadness is not the same as depression. Um, you there's very normal and healthy range of sadness that you can feel um, and not have that qualify as depression. There are things that you should be sad about that you're not going to be 
depressed about. Depressed is this disordered sadness where this feeling of hopelessness and apathy and all these different emotions just start to override your daily life and you're not able to function the way that you should or could before. What, um, you know, if someone's out there watching right now and they're kind of wrestling with that distinction, like, are these just temporary feelings or maybe this is something that's a little bit deeper? Um, what can they, what can they do? Where can they go for help? Yeah. Um, I would say it really starts by telling one person you trust. Um, and from there, um, maybe find a professional. There are people who are trained to be able to diagnose um, clinical mental disorders. And if that's something you think um, you might be struggling with, it's worth talking to someone about. Or even your um, general, like your GP, your regular doctor, they're a good place to start too. You could um, bring up your feelings with them and they have experience in whether or not you need to maybe see a mental health professional. So they might be a good starting place as well. And what about, um, say I know somebody that uh, may, be, may be wrestling with this. Um, if I know someone who in my life, you know, may be exhibiting some of these symptoms, you know, I'm not a professional, I can't diagnose them, but what could I say to help them? And maybe what shouldn't I say? Yeah, um, I think... To begin, if somebody comes to you saying that they're struggling with these kinds of feelings, um, be willing to sit in that with them. Be willing to listen and to just accept the way that they're feeling. I think there's a lot of cultural discomfort around sadness. Um, and sometimes in our discomfort, we can push the depressed person away because we're not comfortable with their level of sadness or the depth of their feeling. Um, so I think it's really important to be willing to listen and sit in it with them um, and not to necessarily offer advice, but just say, how can I support you? Is there something you want from me? How, what can I do to help you? You can ask them. You don't have to know what to do. Um, you can just ask what they need um, and they might not know and that's okay. Um, but you being there and listening is support and that is enough. Um, you don't have to have answers or um, you don't necessarily have to even point to scripture. You can if that's something they, they want and they're seeking from you. Um, but if they're coming to you with this for the first time, it might just be best to listen and see what they would like. Yeah, that's helpful. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing with us today. Um, appreciate the insight and um and the encouragement as well so um yeah i appreciate you joining us absolutely Thanks all for right having thank me. you sonora of course awesome well as i watch that video back it's clear to me i don't have a future in media or broadcasting i'm a awkward interviewer but thank you sonora for sharing it's a great conversation and super helpful for us as we try to understand, you know, what depression is, what it isn't, and what we can say to the people around us who are suffering, what we can do if we're suffering with depression. 
So as we turn to Scripture, we've talked about the science behind depression. Let's turn to the Bible, God's Word, to see what uh, we can find there about this topic. You know, the truth is, as you open the Bible and flip through the pages, there are so many different stories and people that find themselves in the midst of these dark, depressing, painful seasons. I think of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. He's just come off of this battle on Mount Carmel, you know, with the prophets of Baal. But afterwards, he gets threatened by King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and he has this conversation with God where he's like, God, I'm, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm ready to die. And that is honest, that is dark, that is raw, but it's in the Bible. What about Job? We talked about him a little bit last week. But after Job suffered all these catastrophes in his life, what does he do? For seven whole days, this dude just sits in silence, not even talking, just despondent in, in grief. And then there's, there's King David all throughout the Psalms and other places in the Old Testament, but especially in, in Psalm chapter 13. I want to read this to get a little peek into David's uh, emotional process. Psalm chapter 13, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? You know, it really is cool that these stories are included in the Bible, that uh, they're there because they help you and I. We can understand a little bit of God and his perspective and his role as we navigate through suffering. I'm grateful, like, that we don't have this Bible that's just all, you know, 100% chipper and peppy, cheerful, unrealistic, really. We do have a Bible, however, that is honest and raw and relevant. And so today we're going to read from Psalm 88. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles there, or if you have it on your phone, you can uh, pull up the Bible app, Psalm chapter 88. I do want to give you a heads up. This can be a really brutal passage to read. But it, it is helpful, man. And so you think about, remember 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So keep that in mind as we read Psalm 88. I'm going to read all 18 verses here, so let's buckle up. Here we go. Verse 1. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. 
You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? There's four verses still to go here. Let's see if there's any resolution coming. Verse 15, from my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken me, taken from me, friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. <laughs> so, no, the answer, no, there is no resolution here. There's no Ending on a note of hope, right? That's it. That's the tweet. That's the psalm. It just ends in darkness. And it's like, did a scribe leave out a couple verses or something here? Was there a paragraph that didn't make it into the final version of our Bible? But Walter Brueggemann says this, Psalm 88 is an embarrassment to conventional faith. Why does he say that? Psalm 88 is one of two psalms in the Psalter that do not include any sort of upswing whatsoever. There's no optimism. There's no hope. There's no like, you know, God, I know that you are near. Or God, I know that I will see you again in the land of the living. Or even David in Psalm 13, we read part of that earlier, but he concludes with a note of hope. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. There's none of that here in Psalm 88. Instead, it ends in total darkness. Darkness is my closest friend. I had to look up to see if Simon and Garfunkel, you know, get royalties from this song or anything, right? Hello, darkness, my old friend. But have you ever felt like that? Darkness is my closest friend. I have. It's like, it's like, man, darkness. Just you and I again today, bud. Where is everyone else? We, we've been spending a lot of time together. I thought I had other friends and family, but I always know where to find you, darkness. You're always there. But even that thought process doesn't stop the writer of this psalm from pursuing God anyways. All throughout the psalm, you can read all the different times where he is going back, crying out. Right? He says, day and night I cry out to you in verse 1. He says, I call to you, Lord, every day in verse 9. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. He says that in verse 13. He perseveres even in the silence, even in the darkness. 
And so we can see that this is a person of faith. This is someone who believes in God. In verse 1, he says, God, you are the God who saves me. It's not like he's saving him from a small trial or a jam or pickle or whatever it is. Like this is eternal salvation, salvation of his soul. He's a believer. He believes that God is going to answer him at some point, even in the midst of this painful silence. He has hope, but he still he still shares his honesty, his raw emotions here. And so my answer to the question, can a Christian be depressed, is yes. We've seen it in the research. We've observed it here in the pages of Scripture. And I've observed it in my own life personally. And what I want to do today is I want to dispel the myth that depression is your fault. That's because you're a bad Christian or you have a lack of faith or you've been disobedient or you're too weak to follow God, you know, in a mature way. I want to dispel that myth. There's so many different causes for depression that we've observed that can rise up inside of you. Let's look at a couple of them right now. First are biological factors such as physical illness, injury, or brain chemistry. Did you know that when you suffer from depression, it can literally change the physical makeup of your brain? When you go through depressive episodes, your hippocampus releases a hormone called cortisol. When cortisol floods your brain, then the hippocampus actually is unable to, pr- uh, to produce new neurons, and so your hippocampus actually shrinks. That uh, leads to memory problems. This is like a physiological response in your body. I don't think you can control that. It just happens when you're depressed or stressed or anxious. And cortisol also, it enlarges the amygdala, which is like the the center of your emotional response. And so if you've got an enlarged amygdala, that means enlarged emotions, bigger mood swings, deeper despair, darker sadness. Are you able to to stop your amygdala from growing on command? I'm not. This is just, it's not your fault, right? And another cause of depression comes from life experiences, such as trauma or a history of abuse. Those are certainly not your fault whatsoever. Another cause, family history of mental health problems. Sometimes it's just passed down. And it's not like we have an opt-out clause that we can sign before we're born. Like, no, I don't think I want that gene in my life. You know, maybe next time. That's absurd. We can't control some of these causes of depression. There's different causes. But the bottom line is you are not a bad Christian because you are living in the darkness. Like one of the hard parts that even Sonora brought up earlier is the way that we talk to people who battle mental illness. Sometimes we're not sure what to say. We, we want to be loving to them. We want to find a solution. But sometimes our responses kind of cut the legs out from underneath what they need to do to recover, to heal. Sometimes we can say things that are so shallow, like, oh, you're depressed, just get over it. Or trite, like, you know, come on, man, just look at the bright side of things. It'll be okay. And that's not helpful when someone is clinically depressed. But if we looked at mental health 
in the same way that we, you know, talk about physical health, it would be totally different. If someone that I know broke their arm, I wouldn't go up to them and say, you know what, <laughs> just look on the bright side. You'll, you can heal yourself. You know, I got, a, I got a cut on my arm once, so I know exactly what you're going through. That makes no sense whatsoever. But that's often the tact that some people take when talking to people with mental illness. There is a stigma around mental health. It's why Sonora mentioned that women are more likely to get the help that they need to reach out to someone more than men. And I'm a man, right? I read that the average age for the onset of major depression is 32 and a half. I'm 33. And I think because of the stigma around it, that's one of the reasons why it's been so hard for me to share with people. I don't want other people to see, you know, my darkest thoughts, my darkest fears. I don't want to be perceived as weak or defective. You know, I've got my reputation to worry about. And it's, it's totally a pride thing. But it's not good. In fact, when you compare mental health to physical health, I'm like the guy who makes a New Year's resolution to go to the gym and I show up, you know, a couple times in January, and then you don't see my face there ever again, <laughs> right? I've done counseling on a couple of occasions, but I've stopped going. I've given up, and that's been to my detriment, if I'm being honest. You know, this past week, Kayla and I celebrated seven years of marriage, and, um, you know, she'll back me up on this. But this past year has been one of the hardest years of my life. Not just marriage or parenting, but also relationships, friendships, ministry. There's so many different things that I'm struggling with. And it's because I've ignored these warning signs in my life of mental health, right? Or I've ignored Kayla's encouragement to go out and, and see someone, to, to get help, to see a therapist. We just talked about how she recommended someone who, months ago and wrote out the name, and I used, I used that Post-it note as a bookmark, and I lost it. I don't know what book it's in. <laughs> um, but this has been an ongoing battle for me. This has happened even before the quarantine, before coronavirus. But maybe you're like me, and this season of life has highlighted the depression in your life, the struggles. Maybe it's exposed some of those things or exacerbated some of those issues. But we make excuses, right? We're isolated right now. I can't see a, th- I, I can't, I'm not going to go in a, a closed room with a counselor for an hour. That would be dangerous. And so we make all these excuses about not making appointments. And so for me, like, this is, this is my struggle. I don't know really where I'm at in this journey. I would love to be able to, to stand before you this morning and say, you know what, that's all in the rearview mirror. That's all behind me. I've battled it. I've come out the other side. Everything's good now. It's gravy. I'm living the dream. But, like, I'm right in it right now. I don't know if I'm at the end. Maybe I'm about to turn a corner and see the light, the hope, some healing. Maybe I'm at the, be- the very beginning. 
I don't even know what's going to come down the road over the next few months or years. I don't know what issues are going to arise throughout this journey. Or maybe I'm somewhere in between. But I do share this with you today, part of my journey, so that maybe someone else out there might feel that nudge to speak up and feel the courage to share with someone else, to take that very first step from darkness into light. In fact, we should be breaking away from this stigma of not talking about our mental health. It should be considered as normal as exercise is for our physical health. And so as we turn our attention back to Psalm chapter 88, what can we learn about God in this prayer? Even though in the passage God never really shows up and provides an answer or a glimmer of hope, or he doesn't even say, you know what, I'm here. Like that doesn't happen at all. This prayer is still in our Bible, intentionally included in the Psalter. It didn't get edited out. And God is like saying, yes, this is important. Include this. My people, my children need to see this struggle. It's not like an example of a defective prayer, a swing and a miss, like God's over here and I'm looking over here, I'm looking in the wrong spot. Like this is included for a reason. God wants us to know that he understands. He knows what you are feeling in this darkness, in this despair, and you are not alone in this. You may feel alone, and that seems to come off the pages of Psalm 88. You may feel alone, but that's not the case. We know that to be true because of the rest of Scripture. That's why we, we have other prayers like Psalm 34, 18. It says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so as we close this morning, I hope two things really were accomplished today. First, I hope that you, if you are suffering from a, a season of depression, mental health, battles, suffering, I hope that you have been encouraged today. Remember, you are not a bad Christian. That there is help available. That God cares for you. You are his child and there is nothing that you can do that's going to stop him from loving you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any more or any less. He loves you. Be encouraged by that. And secondly, I just hope that we can remove the stigma around depression and mental health issues. Sometimes we have these judgmental attitudes, and I, I hope that we've removed the stigma around that to, uh, to help us learn, you know, helpful verbiage. How do I interact with a friend or family member who's going through this process? What can I say? What can I do to show them compassion in the dark times? Because maybe one day you're going to go through a period of suffering, you're going to go through a period of darkness, depression, 
And I want you to remember, you can always come back to Psalm chapter 88 and know that you are not alone in this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you fill us with your spirit right now? Would you fill us with your peace? And even those of us who are going through this daily battle where we don't know where you are, we feel like everything is dark, dreary, God, just remind us that you're there. Give us the courage and the boldness to take one step forward closer to you, to be faithful in how we respond, that we, we take seriously these emotions. We're not ruled by our emotions, but we, we do listen to them and we get the help that we need. God, we love you. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for Psalm 88 that can remind us we're not the only ones who have gone through this season, God. You know that, you've seen that, and you love us through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Aaron Loy, remember the pastor who wrote the article, Confessions of a Depressed Pastor? He writes this. Depression is more than just a spiritual issue. It is also a physiological one that can affect even spiritually healthy people in debilitating ways. If you are a Christian who struggles with depression, don't make the mistake of thinking if you pray, if you just pray enough, claim enough, repent enough, or believe enough, you will be cured. That may be part of the solution, but you may also find you need to treat the issue medicinally and therapeutically as well. Each is a gift and an expression of God's grace. Please ignore anyone who tries to shame you into thinking otherwise. May God's peace comfort you in this season. Even if you don't feel him beside you, I pray that you keep calling out in the darkness. I pray that you keep taking those steps towards the light. Maybe it's just sharing with someone that you trust, someone that loves you. Maybe it's reaching out to a counselor. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, if you are thinking of suicide, please share that with someone right now. If you can't tell someone in person, the phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is one 800 273-8255. God is good. You are loved. You're not alone. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.